Thank you, Pastor Matthew. Uh, Saturday evening, September 14th, 2002. And what a wedding tradition is for many became our wedding tradition. Selected song came on. We hit the dance floor. And I'm no Pastor Greg. But then it came on. My love, there's only you in my life. The only thing that's right. My first love, you're every breath that I take, you're every step I make, and ah, you know how it goes. This is, if, if, if you do not know this song, trust me, you're free to leave right now, and make sure though you get the right version. The version of Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. Nothing against Luther Vandross and Mariah Carey. I mean, I love Luther. I don't know about Mariah too much, but Luther's okay. But that song comes on, Endless Love. If you don't know it or you're too young, it is not only my song with my beautiful wife, but it's a thick song of love and commitment. It was the song that we played to secure our first dance as husband and wife And the love in that moment was thick. As we looked around and saw the faces of our family and our friends, it's like every first dance. Everybody's just smiling, watching uh, these newly committed couple, just releasing their vows to one another. And in many traditional moments, this dance is the beginning not only of a marriage, but the beginning of a party. And what a party it was on September 14, 2002. We were the last to leave our reception. In fact, we got a note from our DJ saying, I have never been to a wedding with more people dancing for hours. And I said, well, you've never met a bunch of Christians who had free wine for the first time. So, but to this day, I love weddings. I love a great wedding. I get excited about it. And part of what gets me excited is because it's at weddings where there's the chance of that wedding reception with dancing. And for me to dance in the joy and the fun and the laughter, the thrill of love being celebrated is such a marker, not only of that couple, but of the communal experience of coming around that couple to celebrate the couple and the covenant, dancing the night away. The title of this sermon is Dancing in the Night, and it doesn't come from a wedding, it doesn't come from Lionel Richie and, uh, and Diana Ross, but it does come in a very popular Christmas carol, Do You Hear What I Hear? These lyrics, said the night wind to the little lamb, do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb, do you see what I see? And here it is, a star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. With a tail as big as a kite, dancing in the night. These lyrics from Do You Hear What I Hear, I believe touch on the kind of joy, uh, the kind of joy and love that we feel at weddings. 
the, the love shared between not a couple in this song, but the love of God shown up in the birth of Jesus Christ where stars begin to dance, not only dance and lead the way for shepherds and sheep to find their way to this newborn king, but the image of this song is that dancing in the night, not just a, just, not just a fact of astrology, uh, but a moment, an emotional moment of love. And here is where we find ourselves on this fourth week of Advent with a the theme of love, a star dancing in the night. Our text today contains one of the most well-known verses of the entire Bible. And my prayer for today is that something that is well-known for many of us would move from just being something we know in our minds, that as we contemplate what God has done and the love of God as shown in the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of Christmas, that it would cause us not just to be thankful for love, but that we might follow the cue of the stars, that we would find ourselves this week leading into Christmas dancing, dancing in the night because of the love that God has for us. Matthew read it very well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, not as well known. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, all... As all scripture, these verses don't sit in isolation. Now, the beautiful part of these verses is they mean what they mean, and we can just center in on them, and they contain truth within them. But the particular context in which Jesus speaks these words in the third chapter of John can be especially illuminating for us this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're watching this. See, these words come at the tail end of a conversation that Jesus is having with someone. In John 3, we meet Nicodemus. We read that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. We read that he's a member of the ruling council. Translation, Nicodemus was serious about religion. He, was strict, he strictly obeyed the law. There were 613 commandments that pious, strict, pharisaical people would follow with, with rigidity. He was pious, he was powerful, and I think we can guess that he was really sincere in trying to fulfill all of these commandments. But Nicodemus had heard of Jesus. And the way Jesus was speaking about God, the way that Jesus was speaking about the law, the way that Jesus was speaking about connection to God was foreign to someone like Nicodemus because Jesus wasn't doubling down on 613 rules. He was speaking of a different way, a new way of being with God. And this was disturbing. And Nicodemus had questions. And what we read is that in the answers that Jesus was giving Nicodemus about how all this worked, how life with God is, and why he, Jesus, has come, we find that Nicodemus needed to understand a whole new category, not of rules and strict following, but a new category embedded in love. And before we judge Nicodemus, Nicodemus is the example that still struggles because people like Nicodemus, who should get it the most, oftentimes miss it the most. We see that throughout the scriptures. 
And I can tell you as a fallible, (laughs) imperfect human being with degrees behind my name that say I should know the way of living that Jesus, there are plenty of times where I miss it the most as well. Because we too, like Nicodemus, can struggle with understanding what faith is, what relationship with God is. We too, like Nicodemus, can uh, make our faith one of rule following, of strict religious observation, a strict living versus a faith that is defined by love, a faith that is found dancing in the night. The problem is that love is a very tough word in our culture, and love is a really tough word for so many of us in our lives because human love gone wrong is all around us, it's in us, it's what so many of us have experienced. God's love for us isn't love gone wrong. God's love for us is love done right. But that chasm between our experience of love gone wrong can really inhibit our ability to experience and understand the love of God, pure and good love. Love gone wrong might come from the absence of a parent from a breakup, or from love never truly experienced. The beauty and fragility of love is clear. Oftentimes, how we have and have not experienced love impacts our ability to understand and receive God's love in our lives. So when Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that is another level kind of love. God's love for us is at a higher level. God's love for us can leave us with the same emotion and joy of a good wedding. It can cause us to dance as David danced. See, to really embrace and understand the love of God is to really understand and embrace all of this Christmas. Because at Christmas, we get to come and see just how powerful God's love is. And that is what this text in John and the rest of this message will aim to do. There are three truths about God's love that I find in these two verses that I think are especially needed for all of us this week leading into Christmas. The first truth of God's love is that it is a love that sends and not condemns. God's love is a love that sends and doesn't condemn. Can you, can you see this clearly in verse 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, love gone wrong is manipulative. It can seek to shame. Love gone wrong is a judging kind of love, a condemning kind of love. It seeks to call out wrong versus to seek out truth. And Jesus brings definition and clarity to God's love when he teaches that God's love sends out Jesus into this world to bring us into relationship with God. He did not send Jesus into this world to shame us, to condemn us. He came to save us. There's a purity to this kind of love. There's a passion to this kind of love to send out and capture and save versus shame and manipulate. And in turn, we are to love like God loves with that same sending, that same passion, 
that same motivation, that same desire to help capture people into relationship with God. And yet if we're honest, over history and even now, followers of Jesus really struggle to love people this way. There's a research institute, many of you are familiar, the Barna Research Group. And from what I can tell in my research, for the last 15 years, there have been consistent uh, feedbacks from people who aren't Christians when they think about Christians. And some of the adjectives are more condemning aspects of, of a relation, of, of view versus a loving aspect. What shows up over and over and over again for the last 15 years of these major findings is that Christians are seen as hypocritical. They're seen as too political. They're seen as judgmental. The love of God is love done right. And love done right is the love of Jesus. And Jesus' love sends and doesn't condemn. So we have a love that sends and doesn't condemn, and we're to be people who live out that same kind of love and not condemnation. Love that sends and not condemns. The other aspect, another aspect of love in, these, in this text is that it's a love that sacrifices to save. Uh, listen again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gave, God gave his one and only son. That sacrifice. God's love for us was costly and it required sacrifice. And let me be clear, Lake Avenue Church, I, I love you. I want the best for you. I want the best for us. And I pray that I will sacrifice many things for us. But my boys are off the table. In fact, quite the opposite. If Jenny and I ever discern that this become a place that is not helpful for them, I think I would sacrifice my job for my boys. My love for you has limits that God's love for us doesn't have. God gave his one and only son, so that we could be in relationship with God. I mean, think about that. That's sacrifice at a whole nother level. This is how you know the difference between God's love and human love. It's certainly how you will know the difference between God's love for you and your pastor's love for you. God gave his son. God is so in love with you and me that he sent his one and only son so that we might be saved and have relationship with him. Our faith has a foundation of sacrificial love. And while I think it will be very unlikely that any of us will ever have to sacrifice our own children, we are called to follow the lead of God and live lives of sacrificial love. And again, I don't think it's going to require for many of us, our children, the way it cost God to give his one and only son. But it is a costly love. In Mark 12, 28, 31, Jesus is again in a conversation with a Pharisee, with someone who is uh, devout and trying to figure out what faithfulness looks like and trying to understand this way of teaching. And Jesus is pretty clear. 
Uh, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus answered, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. This sacrificial love to love an other is at the very being of who God is. It's in the very center of what Christmas is all about. And it ought to be in the center of what our lives are about. The Pharisee will go on to ask, who is my neighbor? This last week, I got an email from uh, Glenda and Caitlin Cook. You know Glenda, she sings in the choir. Caitlin is now a, a wonderful young adult, used to be in the youth ministry. And they write me from time to time. They're great storytellers, and they are faithful followers of Jesus. And with their permission, I'd like to tell you about what happened to them. Pastor, today was very special because my mom and me had to run to Ralph's real quick, in and out. We noticed that this mom with three children were having problems. Her card was being declined. Tears were running down her face. So my mom had me check our balance, and we bought her entire groceries for her. She wanted to give my mom a big hug, but of course that is impossible due to COVID. One of her kids shared that their dad had recently died of COVID-19 unexpectedly, And their mom had also lost their job. Very hard times. And then she writes, Caitlin writes, it's not what we could, it's not what if we could, because we do have a savings. It's not huge, Pastor. But how can you allow a mom and her children walk out of the store with no food? Her bill was over $100, but I know that God will bless us in many other ways. This is a family that looked like they had it all at one point. But there are stories after stories after stories right now. And if we all do one act of kindness and sacrificial love each day, don't you think it will be a better world until we can get life back to normal? And I say, Caitlin and Glenda, yes. That is exactly what sacrificial love looks like. That is exactly what God has given us in Jesus and in return asks us to do, to love friend and stranger, to love friend and enemy with a sacrificial love, sacrificed to save. Love sacrifices to save. Love sacrifices for others, for neighbors, for strangers. As Chuck mentioned, we are sacrificing right now as a congregation to get this water project landed in northern Kenya. So many of you continue to sacrifice during this season. The the giving of this church is is simply mind-blowing. This is a church that knows how to sacrifice. And because this is a church, I believe, that knows Jesus and understands the sacrificial love of God. The third and final truth about God's love in Jesus from these verses is that love is simply to be received by belief. This is such a simple concept, but for many, it's so difficult to truly live into. Love gone wrong often comes with strings, with obligations, with complexity. Many of us have grown up without a understanding of pure um, Agendaless love. The love of God in Jesus is simple. It's just for us to receive by belief. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I loved when Pastor Greg would always say, who is in the whoever? And we would all say, all of us. Whoever believes. Love that saves from perishing. Love that gives eternal life, both now extending into eternity. Love that sacrifices for you and for me. And all that is required to receive this love is just to believe. Is to believe that you're worth it. To believe that you are the object of God's affection. I love how you said that, Dr. Choi. The apple of his eye. And yet because God's love needs to be received, it also can be rejected. And I begun to wonder if rejection of God's love might have more to do with not knowing how to receive than any kind of outright denial of God. I meet plenty of people who believe in God. I think I meet a lot of people who don't believe God thinks much of them. Why is it so hard for us to just simply receive? We don't receive well. Well, I don't at times. In fact, this is uh, something I'm struggling with right now in this beautiful Christmas season. I was on the phone uh, this week, had a call with uh, Dr. Laberton at Fuller. We were talking, and I, and I just asked him, I said, so I'm kind of new to this whole, you know, acting senior pastor thing, and I got to tell you, um, I've been here 21 years. I have never received as many kind cards and actual gifts from, from people. Please, that's not, I don't need any. But my natural instinct when I get a card or a gift and you can ask my assistant, is what, can we, what do I have that I can send them back? How do, I, how do I thank them with the kind of, how do we reciprocate? And I feel like that is the same um, habit that many of us have with being unable to receive. And what Dr. Laberton said to me, he said, Jeff, there, you don't need to return gift for gift. You just need to learn to receive and say thank you. I think that's the struggle for so many of us when it comes to God's love. If, if God loves me, then I gotta do all this stuff back to, to prove to him that I'm worth it or that I, I can't fully receive because I'm too busy reacting or too busy responding or I, I, don't, I can't sit in the, the, the fact that, that God would think that highly of me to give me his love. I need to learn how to simply receive and not always respond and react. And what God has done in loving us through the person of Jesus is saying, just receive. Just believe. Nothing else required. To receive the love of God without reaction. To receive the love of God without an immediate response. To receive the love of God without shame. This is why we have worship. This is why we have personal worship and devotion and corporate worship and devotion because it's in these moments where we can reorient our minds and our hearts and our lives on how God really works and not the bad definitions of love that are around us the other days of the week or the other hours of the day. Because it's in worship, it's in prayer, it's in studying scripture, it's in being in community with one another where we can just receive the love of God without worrying about what needs to happen next. 
And we, do, and we need it over and over and over again. So how might we apply this message? Well, I, I pray that it's been applying for you along the way. If it's true that God's love sends and doesn't condemn, we need to stop being known for condemning. Both with the world outside of the church and also with one another. I, I gotta tell you, one of the, the things I find most sad that I've seen emerge over the last couple of years is, is that on social media, it is okay to just rail on Christian leaders, just as a, a general category, that, that they don't do these things right, or this group of people doesn't do it right. And, and it's just acceptable to just do that. And then those things get picked up and retweeted and celebrated. And, and yeah, I believe there's prophetic books in the Bible, but I think it's a section of scripture. I don't, think, I don't think God's given us social media so everybody can be a prophet and call out things all the time. The condemning is not just to the world out there, it's the condemning with one another. God's love doesn't condemn. God's love sends and goes after. And maybe this last couple weeks of the year, as Pastor Matthew encouraged, maybe it's time to go after some people and invite them to church or ask how they're doing or to set up a Zoom or a phone call with someone just to let them know that you're curious and you care for them. If it's true that God's love sacrifices to save, then we've got to keep sacrificing. And you do that so well. And it's done in a variety of ways. Caitlin, Glenda, thank you for, for that moment in Ralph's. Some of you are going to sacrifice and are sacrificing very differently. But God's love delights in sacrificing his one and only son. And I wonder, what is the one and only thing that you have that God might ask you to sacrifice. So for those who are already sacrificing, keep sacrificing. It's the way you model God's love. For those of you who need to begin the journey of sacrificing, I think God is with you and he understands and can walk with you. And finally, if love is to be received by belief, will you join me in learning how just to receive? Just to sit in the reality that for God so loved you, for God so loved me, that he gave his one and only son and that all I need to do is just receive that gift. And that gift was given not to shame me or manipulate me, that gift was given to free me. That gift of Jesus is given and what we celebrate in Christmas is Jesus being given to bring freedom, to bring joy, to bring peace to your life and to this world. I'm gonna close with this story. I've been reading through one book over the last year. It's not a novel, it's a collection of letters. Uh, the book is called Love, Henry. And it's Henry Nouwen, who is one of my favorite writers, probably one of the most influential people. It's not why we named our son Henry, but it's not not why we named our son Henry. 
And there's this collection of letters he wrote over his lifetime that have been collected and put into this book. And not only is he a brilliant uh, book writer, he is a brilliant letter writer. I'm learning from him. But he always finishes his letters, no matter who he was writing to, with love, Henry. And more than this valediction were the bodies, the text within the letters that soaked in care and love for whoever he was writing. And there was one letter I read about a week ago uh, that stood out to me because it, it was written in 1973, but couldn't, when you'll hear it in a moment, part of it, it could be written today. Listen to uh, Henry Nowen. December 29th, 1973. Happy times, blessed Christmas, and a very good new year. I hope that all the misery in the country and in the world in general will deepen your hope for the kingdom of God, will strengthen your end times perspective, will make you more interested in the last book of the Bible, will make you more critical towards psychology and political sciences, will make you simple of mind and heart, make you pray more and love more, and make your heart and mind open toward him who is the Lord of life and who calls us to transcend all human endeavors. This felt like that opening paragraph could be written, and I hope you caught it. Did, did you hear the call to love? Now one says, I'm praying that the misery we are living in, in our country and in the world in general, will make you pray more and love more and make your heart and mind open toward him who is the Lord of life and who calls us to transcend all human endeavors. And I wanted to take a cue from now and and I also want to be influenced by this John 3, 16, 17 text and recognize that for me, this is my final sermon of 2020. I mean, I'll do something on Christmas Eve, but you only get me for nine minutes there. I wouldn't call it a sermon, it's a homily. But this is my last Sunday in worship for the year. And in the context of God's love, I wanted to end this sermon and this year with you with a brief open letter of my own. So dear, dear ones of Lake Avenue Church, December 20th, 2020. Merry Christmas and a very good new year. I hope that all the difficulty in your lives, in the country, and throughout the world in general will help you see the redemption found in the great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I pray that through all things, you will deepen your hope for the kingdom of God, will strengthen your love for all people, will make you more interested in the truths found in scripture, will make you more hesitant in believing things that are untrue. I pray that you will seek to be simple of mind, heart, and possession. I deeply desire that all we are going through will make all of us pray more and love more and make your heart and mind open toward him who is the Lord of life and who calls us to transcend all human endeavors. Dear ones of Lake Avenue Church, you are so deeply loved. You are so purely loved. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son for you, 
This gift from God is yours for the taking over and over and over again, free of charge, free of shame, free of guilt, free of obligation. May you and I today and in the days to come receive this love of God with joy. And may God use us to bring this love to others. May he empower us to love sacrificially as he has. And may we all be found faithful to living out the love of God in all circumstances, in all situations, with all people. Love, Jeff. Amen.